Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Luis Eladio Torres. For many of our families, education is fifth priority. Food, safety, shelter, and health come before education. This is not because our people do not value education. It is because for our families, life's necessities come first. As a school principal, Luis utilizes his unique leadership skills to try to satisfy these needs. This year, Luis made 14 years as principal of Community School 55. He has been engaged in community school work for over 16 years. Under his leadership, the school has developed a hospital in the school, sports museum, a partnership with the Green Bronx Machine to provide healthy food, and established relationships with many community partners to meet the needs of the families. Currently, he is working with Windows of Hip Hop, Grandmaster Melly Mel, and Grandmaster Kaz to create a music studio. As you will hear in this interview, Principal Torres is not only developing the school, he is transforming the community. Luis has come to realize, ironically, that if he's going to fight for equity, it will have to be done with less resources than others. At the end of the day, Principal Torres is working hard now because, as he says, our time in this world is limited. We must make it better than when we arrived here. Follow him on Instagram at TorresASCD for more information. So welcome, Luis Eladio Torres. How are you? I'm very excited. Um, I'm happy to be uh, here, you know, on this planet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy to be here in your office. This is awesome. Um, So we're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So Luis, are you ready to pour into our listeners? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to, to traveling on this journey with you. Awesome. So can you tell us a bit about your leadership path and what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, growing up, you know, I grew up in a community where most children either went to prison, were killed, or, you know, sold drugs or did other things. I was one of the lucky ones. I actually went to school. I attended Stevenson High School, and my guidance counselor told me that I would never go to college. Oh so, boy. yeah, she advised me to join the military. So at the age of 17, my mother signed me up to the military, and I was shipped off to Desert Storm around 18, 19 years of age. But in my head, I always said, you know, I need to come back and prove that guidance counselor wrong. So I came back to New York. I attended Hostess Community College where I completed an associate's degree. I attended City College where I completed my bachelor's in psychology. I attended Mercy College where I received my master's in technology education. And I wound up completing Hunter College with an advanced degree in administration. And I also completed New York City Leadership Academy. So you certainly proved her wrong. 
Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. And what are you doing now? Right now, I'm a school principal. I've been a principal now for going on 14 years, about to go into my 15th year. I was a teacher before that, but I went straight from teaching into the principalship, which is usually a unique jump. Normally, you don't make that jump, but I needed to make the move as fast as possible because, you know, our time is limited on this planet. Mm -hmm. So I felt that I needed to have a greater impact as fast as I could. And how was that transition? Because sometimes it's a rough transition. It was easy because I had a lot of great mentors in my life. Mm. Um, Dr. Betty Rosa, who's the chancellor of the state. I call her my godmother. She was a strong leader, and Mm. I got to see her leadership style growing up as a teacher. And then I had mentor principals like Anthony Orzo and Stephen Rappaport. And these guys, you know, they showed me the ropes. They taught me, you know, what I needed to know in order to be successful. And then I had another mentor, Nilda Rivera, and the list goes on and Mm -hmm. on and on of strong leaders who had an impact on my life. So mentorship is important to you. Absolutely. Mentorship, and I strongly believe in creating a path for others. Awesome. So, Louis, how would you describe your leadership style? I like to tell people I'm a very unique leader. They call me the Bronx principal on social media. That says a lot. I'm the Bronx (laughs) principal. I like to incorporate hip-hop into my style where there's a focus on vocabulary as well as um, music, art, and culture. You know, those are things that I value and I really appreciate. Recently, I partnered with Windows of Hip Hop, Grandmaster Kaz, Grandmaster Melly Mel, uh, and the Windows of Hip Hop team to develop a collaboration and, and shape how I manage and run the school. I have a community school. I've been doing this work for 20 years now, um, doing community school work. And I believe in making the school better so that children don't have to leave, Mm -hmm. so that they can come back and be part of the community that they lived in. And I also believe that for a lot of our families, education is not the first priority, it's the fifth priority. Food, shelter, safety, and health come before education. It's not because the parents don't value education, it's just that the reality is for a lot of our families, life's necessities are more important right now. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, what I try to do is I try to satisfy those four other areas so that the children can focus on education and the parents can make education a priority. And that's been a challenge, but it's my life's mission. You talked about collaborating with hip hop. I also read somewhere that you have a studio in the school. Is that correct? Actually, we don't have the studio yet. That's my vision to create a music studio in the school where our children will be able to record, edit, and produce music and we want to teach them the music industry and hopefully we'll have uh, of course Grandmaster Kaz and Melly Mel will be in the building doing some work with us and Windows of Hip Hop but we also want to bring in like a Fat Joe and others to be able to come in and motivate our children to do good by their communities and to motivate them you know build them up. What we do have in the school right now though is we have a hospital in the school. I call it the hospital. Um, mm. I have a nurse, dentist, psychologist, ophthalmologist, all on staff, a doctor, a nurse. So we provide full service in the school to our children. We make sure all of our children are immunized. Right now, we're going to be hopefully providing glasses pretty soon, dental cleaning, and other things. We also have farms. Thanks to a partnership I have with the Green Bronx Machine, Stephen Ritz, we actually grow our own vegetables all year long through aeroponic farms as well as we have bicycles connected to blenders where we do smoothies while the children ride bike. I mean, we do a lot of the adults? Do you stuff. have that for the we adults the, as well? The adults can join as well. 
And then, you know, I hustle for the community. And I bring other resources. Right now, um, Ruben Diaz Jr. funded a million-dollar playground that we have built already. Vanessa Gibson, the councilwoman, is currently working on moving our cafeteria to the first floor, as well as the auditorium. So I work very closely with the local officials as well. Michael Blake, the assemblyman, and Senator Gustavo Rivera. It's so important to have people in your corner to do these things and bring these resources to the school. I love how your focus is certainly on the kids, but also expanding to the community. You have this big picture where it's like a family, a whole community where we're pouring into each other. And that's not easy. That's the hard work. It's funny because in 2011, I was named Outstanding Educator for the Country. Even though in New York, they really didn't recognize me, but everywhere across the country... How did New York not recognize you? It's it's very interesting. In 2011, I was named Outstanding Educator for the Country by ASCD. Internationally, people were asking me to come and speak at colleges, high schools. All over the country, everybody was talking about me. Mm -hmm. But in New York, it was like, oh, well, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just the way New York is. It's a tough place, you know. Mm -hmm. But in San Francisco, when I was speaking in front of over 8,000 people, I made a comment. I said, you know, For a long time, our schools have been viewed as oasis. But when you think of an oasis, what you have is a patch of land with a little bit of life. Is that what we want for our schools? Do we want our schools to be oasis and everything around the school be dead? No. But we want our rainforest. So I started to say, you know what? I can't just make the school be an oasis. I have to make the community into a rainforest. So I started to think about how can I make improvements to the community so that the work that we're doing within the school carries over to the community. And that's been a you know hard struggle because I'll be honest with you, when you're trying to do positive change and when you're trying to make these big moves, there are people that get rattled. There are people that don't want that to happen. And it's sad, but that's the reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've all experienced that. And part of just remaining the course, for me, I love quotes. So can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Well, I write my own quotes these days. So, uh, well, you got to share them. <laughs> I put them all over social media. If you follow me on Instagram, all right. at Torres ASCD, you'll see some of my quotes. Actually, one of the most powerful quotes that I have that I just posted actually yesterday, which is interesting, is I use every weapon formed against me to prosper. Mm -hmm. Every weapon formed against me, I use to prosper. And that means a lot to me because it almost feels like I'm battling constantly the world to Mm -hmm. do what's right by children, and it shouldn't be. So every time somebody tries to throw something at me, I turn it around and I make it something positive. The quote is actually, I use the weapons formed against me to prosper. So I'll give you an example. People say, oh, you know what, Mr. Torres, you can't have a uniform policy because your children can't afford uniforms. Now you're saying that our children can't afford uniforms, but you know what? I'll go and I'll find somebody to pay for the uniform so that we can't be held accountable for that. Because if I'm held accountable for uniforms for my children and I don't have the funds to use it, then I'm going to figure out a way to then make it a plus. So I actually get people to fund uniforms for my students. Mm. So that's one of the quotes that I love because, you know, when you're doing great stuff, you get a lot of haters mm-hmm. out there. And I think that, you know, at some point we just got to make a stand because we don't have enough time on this planet to be worried about people's feelings. 
we have to do what's right by children and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, another quote that I always tell people is that ironically, I have come to realize that if I'm going to fight for equity, I will have to do it with less resources than others. If you think about that, it's just yeah. really ironic. Like, I'm over here fighting for children, and I'm doing it without the tools necessary for me to fight this fight. Mm -hmm. And instead of people helping me, they put barriers in front. So we're labeled a failing school. And the first thing that you have to do as a failing school is you have to send a notice to the parents telling them that your school is a failing school. And then they have the option of transferring to a school that's not failing. When we do that, we're setting ourselves up to fail because once the parents start pulling out children, funding goes away with that. So then the things that made your school successful start to fade away. So we have to understand that if we're gonna really make change and we say that we're about children, then some of these policies and things that are out there that are really not about children need to be looked at and need to be changed. Because it's crazy that I have to tell parents that they can transfer their child out, but then I'm held accountable when my registers go down. It's a catch-22, and certainly I'm frustrated listening to that. But what I see in you, Louis, is this leader who's resilient, who has a passion for the kids that is very commendable and honorable. And I see grit. I grew up on rap music, so a lot of that comes from just my style growing up. But the reality is this. The children, unless we fight for them, who do they have? You have teachers' unions, you have principals' unions, you have all these unions. Who do the children go to? So I view myself as the children's union. We need to advocate for our children because who will advocate for them if we don't? In certain communities, it seems that the children have to fend for themselves. And that shouldn't be. We need to be advocating for our children. We need to be fighting for safety for all children everywhere they go. We should be fighting for equitable resources, not equal. This whole idea about equal and equitable, it drives me bananas, you see, because they play a, a word game with that. So they say, oh, yeah, everything's equal. We'll equally fund this. We'll equally do this. Yeah, you can't do things equally. You have to do it equitably because where my son goes to school does not need the same resources that a child where I work mm -hmm. uh, goes to school. So if you're providing equal funding, if you're providing equal resources, one child is benefiting more than the other because the other one doesn't need equal. They need more. They right. need more resources. Right. And it's the whole idea of how schools are funded. We have to really start thinking about these things. If we're saying that we're about children, these things need to be looked at closely. And people like myself should be at the table. I always tell people, I don't need a seat at the table. I'm willing to stand at the table because we need to make change. And if I have to stand at a table and we need to make a decision of something that needs to happen in order to make change, then let's do it. Clearly, there's a lot that you're fighting for. This is the reason we have this podcast, so that we can really think about how we pour into our future. So, Louis, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I always like to tell people I'm like Gandhi because I believe that leaders who lead from the heart 
and leaders who ask people to do things, not because you're a dictator or you're demanding something be done, but because it is the right thing to do. I actually like to model that for people. I always tell people we want to be self-actualized, where we start to do things not because there's a reward or some kind of incentive, but it's because it is the right thing to do. And when I'm not around, it should be the same way. It shouldn't be that way only when I'm around. So when I talk about Gandhi, I always talk about Gandhi and Saddam Hussein. When Gandhi died, they still worship him now and people still appreciate everything he did. People have monuments and buildings and things named after Gandhi. When he died, he actually became even stronger. When Saddam Hussein died, everything that he did fell apart. Because when you lead as a dictator, you lead putting fear into people, what happens when that fear goes away? People won't respect you anymore. But if you lead from the heart and people do things because it's the right thing to do, they are more likely to follow you and do it even if you're not there, they will do it. And that's what I hope to inspire in people is I want them to treat the children with the utmost respect. I want them to treat children as precious as they are. The only way that happens is if you instill into people this ownership and this self-actualization that you do things not because you're going to get a reward, but because it's the right thing to do. So you admire those leaders who pour into others and who think about their legacy, who think about the future. The buck shouldn't stop with you, in other words. If you were to leave, your programs and what you've set in place should continue. Absolutely. One of my greatest fears is that I will leave this school and everything that I put into it will disappear. Right now, actually, I'm thinking about building capacity in others and building relationships with other people in the school so that in the event, at any point, I do leave the school, that others can continue the work and that people will still appreciate and value the work that's happening here and still invest in the school. I would never want anything that I create to fall apart when mm -hmm. I'm not there because at the end of the day, it's all about the children. I'm a strong believer that we have one shot in this world. From the moment that we're born, our clock is ticking, our gas tank is emptying out. I don't want to leave any gas in my gas tank when I leave this planet. I want to leave on empty. And I hope that I will inspire other people to feel the same way and they will take the baton and continue the work going forward. It's sad because, you know, sometimes I go into school buildings and places and you don't even know who the other principals were because they didn't leave a legacy or anything behind that had an impact on the community or the school to the point where people knew that that person was there. When I leave this planet, I want to make sure people know that I was here. You know, and that's real clear. Like, you have a keen awareness of your mortality, Absolutely. right? It's always like before you. Not everybody has that. Not everybody does that. And you continue to speak into that, which drives you, right? When you're in the military at the age of 18, I think that mm -hmm. had a major impact on my thinking, as well as growing up in the community where, you know, it was like a Russian roulette game. You know, you didn't know if you was going to get shot or not, you know. So when you grow up in these uh, life or death situations, you start to realize how short and valuable life is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a father who fortunately was uh, someone who's a community leader. And I saw him in his last days and I realized that there was a lot of things he wanted to do, but he couldn't do it because life was so short. Mm -hmm. So, Louis, what's the best advice you've ever received? 
I think the best advice that I have ever received uh, was my father, of course. My mother was a very solid person, but my father would always talk to me. One of the things he would always tell me was, when you do things, don't do it because you're going to get a reward or some prize. You do them because it's the right things to do. Mm -hmm. My father was around money all the time, and he would never steal money from anyone. My father had the opportunity to do things that he could have done that were illegal, and he never chose to go that route. My father actually gave back to the community. My mother, my father, my door to my house was always open. My father, he always told me to do things because it's the right thing to do. Mm. And that stays with me. And, you know, it's something that keeps playing in my head. And, you know, sometimes when things get tough at the job, I always say, as long as I'm doing it for the right reasons, there's nothing that I can do that's going to combat of it. Mm -hmm. So honor, integrity, generosity is really important to you. Well, all the things that we were taught mm -hmm. when we were children that we would hope to instill in the children now. I do a lot of that with my students here. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe in something called raw, responsibility, organized, always safe, and respectful. That's the four values we teach our students here. Our mascot is a tiger, and of course, the acronym RAW, you know, is aligned with that. But the stuff that my father taught me growing up, I want to instill that in the children here in the school. We can use that as leaders, too, <laughs> that yeah, acronym. Absolutely. <laughs> RAW. We want to roll with pride. On Monday, June 23rd, 2018, at 3 p.m., My Brother's Keeper Alliance will be hosting an online town hall meeting with award-winning American hip-hop recording artist, actor, film producer, and poet, Common, who will share more about his recent work on issues affecting boys and young men of color. To register, click on the link in the show notes. Louis, what does it mean to have a good team, and how do you build and sustain one? Yeah, so there's different ways you could approach it. But for me, I was taught that you always surround yourself with people who are smarter than you in different areas that you're weak in. So I have a person who is strong with special ed because that's an area that I was not strong in. I have a person who's strong in early childhood because that was an area that I wasn't strong in. And I have a, a person who's very strong in literacy. I was a math and science person, so we complement each other. So having a team that complements each other is very important. Loyalty and respect and trust are key in any team you form. Yeah, and the last piece is just becoming familiar with your people, almost like the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan got so comfortable with his team that at any point in the game, he knew where they were gonna be at on the court. So becoming comfortable with your team to the point where you know what they're thinking, you know what they're doing at all times, that's very important. Mm. And you mentioned trust. Some of our listeners are new leaders, some not so new, and have difficulty establishing trust. What's some advice you can give us about doing that? So the greatest obstacle with trust is transparency, I feel. If you are a transparent person, hmm. which I am, and you're always sharing all your thoughts, what you're doing, and people realize that there is nothing hidden, there's no hidden agendas, there is really an openness that you have 
that's where trust starts, I believe, you know, because if you're constantly hiding things from people, if you're misleading people or having conversations on the side, trust will never be established. So trust is about just being transparent and making sure that people know what they get. That to me is the most crucial thing. Thank you so much for that. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Well, one of the greatest challenges for me was, again, when my guidance counselor told me I would not be able to go to college. At that moment, you're like, what? What do you do? You know, Mm. you're told you can't go to college and you're thinking, so my life is over. Mm. It was something that I had to work through. And I quickly realized that when I'm in Desert Storm, right, I didn't go overseas, but there was always the danger of me going overseas. And I'm saying to myself, wow, why did I listen to that guidance counselor? I'm leaving a safe place to go into a war situation because someone is telling me that I'm not capable of going to college. That was very devastating to me. My morale was very low. My confidence was shook because I was always a good student. So I can see how that has really shaped your life. All my life now, I've dedicated my life to education now and making sure that children have options. Mm. I want to make sure that any child that I touch has some option. And you know, there's children with different needs, different levels, but I want all children to have an option. I don't want them to feel that they have to be pushed into anything. I don't want children to feel that their only option is prison or military. They should have options. I want them to feel that at a certain point in their life that they can decide what they want for their future and not that their future is decided for them. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, tell us about one of your greatest successes. I think my greatest success was being named Outstanding Educator for the country in 2011. And the reason why I say that is because the same year that I'm being named Outstanding Educator for the country, the state is saying that our schools are failing school. So, you know, it's just ironic that one measure views you as failing and the other views you as successful. It was a great accomplishment for me because I was able to go and share my story with thousands of people. And I wanted people to realize that when you view education, you can't just view it about math and literacy. You have to view the whole child. The child is just not a number. Children are living, breathing beings. We need to look at their social-emotional being. We need to look at their health. We need to look at all these things when we're developing and molding our children. It is not about just literacy and math scores. So that award justified and empowered me to keep my focus on ensuring that the whole child is being educated. We provide civility here. We teach civics to our children. We teach them to be citizens. Those things that are important, that award solidified and justified the reason why I'm doing this work. Thank you so much for that. Now, you've gone through this. I know I've gone through this as well. What would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their current, who's discouraged about their climate or culture? I tell this to everybody about everything. In life, you know, you're going to be facing challenges. You just gotta work through it. If you give up, just think about it. You're never gonna ever be able to accomplish anything. You're never gonna achieve anything. And you only have one shot at this, one shot at this world. You wanna push through anything you face, you know. I always listen to this guy, Eric Thomas. 
He's a motivational speaker. And he talks about a guru. And I don't know the whole story, but I'm going to share what I learned from it. About a guru telling somebody, do you want to be rich? Do you want to be famous? Meet me at the beach. And they go to the beach. And the guru tells the guy, come deeper into the water. Goes waist high. And the guy's like, you know, why are we here? And the, the guru says, let's go deeper into the water. And the guy's like, why are we here? I'm not here to learn how to swim. And the guru brings him into the water and puts his head under the water. And he holds his head under the water. And the guy's struggling. And the guy's struggling. And the guy pops his head out. And the guy says, why are we doing this? And the guru says, you know, because if you want to be successful as much as you want to breathe, then you're going to do everything in your power to be successful. So you have to want this as much as you want to breathe. You want to have an impact on this world. If you want to impact children, you have to want it as much as you want to breathe. And no matter what people throw at you, no matter what obstacles you face, you have to push through. And I tell this to people because it's easy to give up. It's like pain. Pain is temporary. Eric Thomas says you'll feel it one day, you feel it a week, you feel it a month, but eventually it will subside, right? I believe that. I believe that these obstacles, that this feeling of wanting to give up or not wanting to push through is temporary. Once you push through and you realize that you are going to have an impact on the lives of children and that you are going to be successful in what you're doing, everything becomes easier for you but it doesn't become easy. Gets easier, but never easy. Because when you push through and you accomplish certain things, then the bar rises again. And then you have to push through again and you keep pushing, you keep pushing, and you probably will push until you leave this planet. But those people who give up will never know what they would have accomplished if they would have pushed through. You only have one chance at this. You're certainly inspirational in what you say, and one of the things that pops up for me is the question that we should ask ourselves as leaders, or even have coaches in our lives to really speak into that, is who are you and what do you want? Because if we know those two things, then we can push through all the things that you just talked about, right? Yeah, so if you're on this planet to make money, then you need to leave teaching now. <laughs> you need to leave education. That's not what you're in this business for. If you're here to make a difference in the lives of others, then yes, you're in the right place. Now, are you going to do the hard work that it takes to get this done? Or are you looking to have an easy office job where the work is done and you can care less? Listen, I'm not rich. My wife, she gets on me all the time about different things because I do a lot of things for free. But I'm not in it for money. I'm in it to make an impact and to change lives, to really motivate people to achieve their goals, whether it's in education or not. But what I always tell people is this, if you're going down a path and you really don't feel happy going down that path, then change your path. Mm -hmm. Don't keep going down that path because you're gonna live a life of misery. If you're in education, if you're a school leader and you're not happy going to work every day, Change That's your career. <laughs> That's Change a sign. your career. Yeah. yeah, disconnect. Why are you going to keep going to work? You know, keep going to a job that's killing you. Mm -hmm. Go to a job that brings you life, that gives you happiness, that you enjoy. How could you go into school and be a school leader or educator 
and you're telling the children to reach their goals, achieve their goals, if you're not doing that for yourself. That's right. So, Lewis, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you, and what are you learning now? Well, every day is a learning experience for me. Every day I take it as an opportunity to learn something new. I'm a strong believer when you stop learning, you stop living. One of the quotes I always tell people, I'm a trailblazer, I'm burning my own path. And the path I'm burning is my own. And I go into this whole idea of being a trailblazer and just really doing things, not because other people have done it, but because I feel it's the right thing to do. And even though it's harder than going down the path or following somebody else's lead, I feel that it's very important for me to do these things. And what are you learning now? Right now, I'm learning the power of social media. I do a lot of social media work. I have four different accounts. I do a lot of video production stuff. I saw some of your work. It's emojis and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I do a lot of that stuff. I've been learning a lot of that. But as a leader, one of the things that I've been focusing on is making sure that I take care of myself. Looking at my health, the health of others, is very important for me right now. So I've been learning how to be more healthy. It's been a challenge because when you grow up, where soda it tastes good with everything, right? Mm-hmm. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I have had to fight my soda addiction. You know, a lot of the habits that we develop as children, financial literacy is something that we don't learn. Where I grew up, we were told that, you know, you're cheap if you don't spend money, right? right. The reality is it doesn't work that way. As I get older, I'm learning to break some of those bad habits that I had growing up. That's been a lot of my focus, bettering myself so I could be better for others and just learning how to be a better principal. It's funny, I sign up every year for principal trainings that are normally attended by new principals or new people because I feel that, you know, there's always something I could learn. And I'll sit in a meeting and I'll be sitting with a whole bunch of first-year principals, second-year principals, and I'll be a 14-, 15-year principal and people are wondering why am I sitting there because I could be literally teaching the class. But I'm there because I feel that every opportunity to learn something new is there. And you can never know everything. We are always learning something. I'm always looking to learn different things. Right now, one of the things I may be tapping into next will be learning Sunenke, which is the language that most of my family speak here. Really? African dialect. I want to eventually learn it because I want to be able to model for my staff and my community that I'm willing to learn their language. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm going to call you next time and see oh, how that's be, going. Yeah, that would be something interesting. <laughs> awesome. All right. So if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? I would quickly look to see how schools are funded. I think that that's a very quick thing that I would really like to work on because I, again, believe that schools should be funded equitably, not equally. I would also look to see how we can change how schools are labeled. You know, you get schools labeled as failing, even though they're doing more and harder work than other schools that are labeled high performing. That's what you've experienced, yeah. It really does a disservice to a school by labeling them Mm -hmm. because it starts to impact the amount of children that attend the school enrollment, which then impacts funding. So it has a very negative impact on schools. I always told people, you know, if you want to know why schools close, I can easily tell you that. A lot of it has to do with the labeling of schools. Thank you so much for that. Now, Lewis, what have you read, listened to, or watched that our listeners should read, listen to, or watch? 
Well, you need to follow me on social media. Okay, is, tell us again your, yeah, your handle on social yeah, media. It's Torres ASAD. That's on, on Instagram? Instagram. On Twitter, it's Real Talk Torres. The other ones you could look up my okay. name and you'll see it. That's one thing because I post a lot of stuff that mm -hmm. I think would be interesting and helpful to educators. I'm constantly on YouTube mm -hmm. looking up motivational videos, education videos, and TED Talks because the answer is in the world. <laughs> people mm -hmm. always say the answer is in the room. The answer is in the world. There are people out there that are doing the great work. I'm not saying to open up someone's door with their keys. I'm saying you open up your door with your own keys, but there are people who have opened up these doors that you can look at to open up your own doors. You know, if you get that, I grew up on rap, so I apologize <laughs> if I flow no. that way, but the reality is there are people out there doing successful work. You go on social media, look up these people, look at what they're doing, look at who they contact, look at who they speak to, look at what they look at, read what they read. There is definitely a master plan out there for people and there are things that are working for people that you can take on and replicate and make your own. The one thing that I don't want people to do is feel that they have to follow anybody's footsteps. I am a strong believer that you have to make your own path. If you're following other people's footsteps, it's never going to come out the way that it came out for them. You have your own path, you have your own keys to your own doors, you open up your own doors. And certainly TED Talks to me are phenomenal. I've been watching those for years. Yeah, I have a, a few friends that have done a couple. Steve Ritz, Green Bronx Machine, he actually works upstairs on the fourth floor. He's one of my science people. Uh, this guy, Kareem A., founder of uh, Practice Makes Perfect. He founded that company at the age of 18. Really good friend. And I surround myself with these people that are, you know, smarter than me. I told my son actually this morning on my way to work, look, when you practice, because he plays football, when you practice, practice with the fast runners. Not because you're going to be able to beat them in running, because you're probably not, but because they're going to push you to run faster. And you'll reach your potential because they're going to push you to get there. So I always tell people, you know, always surround yourself with people who are smarter than you because they will push your thinking mm -hmm. to your limits. And Lewis, certainly you walk the talk, so I appreciate that. Now, you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? It's all about routines, 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 routines. So I've set up a morning routine now where in the morning I find some time to just reflect. So in the morning, my alarm goes off, right? What time? Um, I wake up at 4.10. What? I wanna have, Wait, you're officially my earliest riser. <laughs> I wake up at 4.10. The reason why I wake up at 4.10 because it gives me a three-hour head start on everybody else. While everybody else is sleeping, I'm up. Okay, so I, I have a question for yeah. you. What time do you go to bed? Uh, I go to bed probably at 11 o'clock. So Maybe you don't get much sleep. I don't get much sleep because you know what? Again, our time is limited on this planet. Every second counts. So I have to make sure that every second of the day has a purpose and there are times where you know I catch up on my sleep because the body needs it but for the most part I've already trained my body to wake up early and go to sleep late once you train yourself then you're able to make those adjustments so I wake up earlier than everyone else because I want to start the day earlier I start my social media stuff early with that 
I start posting up a morning reflection. I used to do the MTA morning reflection when I would be on the bus riding on my way to school just so that I, you know, motivate people and I feel good about myself coming in that I can help someone else. Then when I get to the school, I immediately start hitting my emails because there's no children in the building. There's nobody here in the school. So I'm usually here by 6 o'clock, 6.30, but no later than 7 o'clock. Once I'm in the building, I then knock the emails out right away because that could be something that will hold you down. And then I start meetings with parents and I go outside in the morning to greet everyone as they come in. That's very important for me. You've already had a full day by that time. Yeah, by the time I go outside to start meeting people, it's around 7.50 and I'm already meeting parents, greeting children, watching out to see if there's any children coming in with any issues or concerns. Mm -hmm. I do all of that work in the morning and then usually I get to meet with a couple of parents because they usually have something they want to talk to me about. Then I bring my cabinet in for a meeting around 8.20, 8.30 and we start to uh, discuss the daily plan and you know things that are happening during the week, phone calls, classroom visits, uh, which is most what I like to do. And try to address some of the paperwork that I have, community partners constantly reaching out to me for different things that we're doing. It's a very, it's a loaded very day. busy day. And then I get to leave, hopefully early sometimes, around 4.35 o'clock, but sometimes I'm here till 6 or 7. And then I do that for five days a week. When I get home, I hit some social media again, because to me, social media is very important. But I also spend some time with my youngest daughter, she does soccer, my son does football, and my eldest is into fashion, so that's all happening. And then in the evening, I pick my oldest daughter from work. While I'm doing that, I'm also listening to motivational videos and doing other stuff. Every, every second of my life... Do you life, survive on coffee? Because I'm um, tired actually, listening to you. <laughs> I, used to, uh, I used to drink a lot of coffee, but what I realized is that when you start to change your mindset, you can self-motivate yourself, and mm. the energy just comes naturally. Wow, that's a full day. And so that speaks to balance, right? What you were talking about, the things that you were learning about, you know, making sure that you're doing well so that you can pour into other people, yeah, right? I, I took a training one time and it, it was called Work Less, Party More, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> it was a very interesting training. And what they talked about is you have to have life balance, you know, work and fun and relaxation, not you'll burn yourself out. Yeah, and that's a true thing that happens a lot, especially in our field. So, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Uh, first off, I would tell them, don't listen to the guidance counselor. That would have saved me a lot of headaches. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love this country, and I would fight for this country if I needed to. Mm -hmm. But I should not be limited. I should have options in this world. But I would also say, start to work earlier. I lost a lot of years of my time on this planet, and I think I could have started this work a lot earlier. I always tell my friend Kareem, who started at 18, doing the work. I appreciate him because he started so young. And I feel that if I would have started this work maybe at the age of 17, I would have been a lot further along in my goal of ending poverty and bringing equity to education. Well, I want to encourage you with something. You know, Moses didn't start his work till he was 80. <laughs> it's the way it is. I just hope that, you know, in my lifetime, I'll have the impact that I want to have. And you're exactly where you need to be. And you're making an impact now, Louis. So I really appreciate that. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, there is no other job that's more rewarding than being a school administrator or leader or teacher. 
Anything in education to me is very important because what the rewards are, the way you're shaping, molding the minds of our youth and changing the outcomes of families and also having an impact in the future generations to come, that is more rewarding than any job that's going to make you millions of dollars. So, Louis, I really want to thank you so much for pouring into me and pouring into our listeners. It's been wonderful getting to know you and the work you do. Absolutely. And if there's anything I could do for any of the listeners out there, I'm always willing to provide support to anyone. So, you know, you got my information for social media. Just follow me, send me a message, and just know that I'm one of those leaders that likes to share. If I can have a greater impact on more people because... I'm touching other people, then that's what my goal is. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time. Continue to ignite that leader in you.